the reason I, I I wanted to bring this up because last week we also got news that another round of of big names have jumped into the pickleball space, led by uh, LeBron James and his business partner Maverick Carter, and have bought into a team in the in Major League Pickleball, uh, an expansion team. They're already expanding. They have expansion teams, Tim. And so I I decided to look back up the number that you had talked about a few weeks ago, and the pickleball participation number is four point eight million. Yet they have this massive infusion of investment from some pretty big names. Uh, we've already talked about Drew Brees, your guy, being involved. Gary Vaynerchuk, your favorite social media personality and agency owner, I'm sure. Kevin Love's involved. Uh, Draymond Green. So anyway, I, I just wanted to throw that out to see if you had any thoughts on, you know, if you're changing your tune on Pickleball. Oh, no, I'm not changing my tune on Pickleball. <laughs> I'm not bullish on Pickleball. I, I think $4.8 million is a very nice number. Right. Half of them seem to live in suburban New Jersey because I'm sick of hearing them talk about pickleball <laughs> in my trips to uh, to get just a cup of tea when they're getting a spice pumpkin latte with almond milk. Welcome to episode 38 of Wait, What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. This is the podcast that takes a unique look at the sports industry, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and on occasion even serious. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. So as the remnants of Hurricane Ian continue to drop rain on the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast, and obviously many people in Florida are facing a very difficult recovery, we, of course, offer our best wishes to all of those affected. There were some cancellations of events, particularly in Florida or postponements, but I have to say less than I expected to tell you the truth. But of course, the business of sports turns on as it always does. So Tim, what is on your mind? Well, we're a month into the new football season um, and we've had some great storylines in the NFL, right? The the, uh, surprising New York Jets. Now two and two, the the Eagles, shout out to Terry Lefton, the only undefeated team left in the league. Um, that's a shameless plug that we'll make sure that we tag yes, Terry. Of course, on. of course. We had a great game yesterday between the uh, Buccaneers and the Chiefs, right? Uh, meet the old boss, same a new boss, same as the old boss. It looks great, like maybe... great Sunday night football matchup for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, but one of the not so great stories. Uh, has been, uh, as we've all heard about, with Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungaviola, Bailoa, excuse me, um, who seemingly suffered a head injury in a game against the Buffalo Bills, um, got up, was very wobbly after a tough hit, um, went off the field, came back, and we were all told it was a, uh, it was a back injury. Um, I don't think many people believe that. And then he was cleared to play four days later on Thursday night against the Bengals and suffered another injury. And it was really disturbing imagery where his fingers and, and uh, seemed to uh, seize up in, in the moment of a seizure. And, you know, the, the league and the players association got together and they are, changing the protocol but um the fact that there was supposed to be a protocol in place prior to that and he was still allowed back on the field not only the following thursday but that sunday i just i I, it speaks to the fact that there's still a problem with the way people are treated players are treated in the nfl when it comes to head injuries 
Yeah, it was a it was an embarrassment to be honest. Uh, I couldn't believe he came back in the game the the first injury as wobbly as he was. And this is, you know, he's a young star with a huge upside. The Dolphins were playing very well. And we know we know how athletes are. They never want to come out. They obviously want to want to go back in. But how could the protocol have possibly been followed the way it was supposed to, uh, given given what we saw? I mean, uh, we you know the the new neutro excuse me the neurotrauma consultant um, that was involved with this has has already been fired, possibly for making some mistakes. But there are a number of people in, that have to be involved in this, and I imagine that's what the protocols new protocols will do but this was a this was a yeah this was a black eye yeah and you know what's what's really upsetting about that uh, neuro tra- uh, trauma specialist who was fired right he he made maybe he made a mistake maybe he claims he didn't understand the you know w- what his role was uh, but the reports are that he became you know combative and and defensive and almost belligerent when defending himself when he was being spoken to about the situation. And uh, I find that appalling, right? I mean, we're talking about a player's livelihood, his his health, and his long-term health long after he's going to leave the game of football, right? Um, and you're right. These athletes are warriors. I, it's an overused term. It's a bit of a cliche, but they want to get back out on the field. And so you can't leave it to a player to determine whether or not he's injured or not when it comes to a a head injury. You know, some years ago when some of the early um, concussion data was coming out and uh, there were lawsuits, obviously, uh, at the NFL and the NFL, you know, furiously defended itself that it was taking all of all of these precautions. You know, I, I had speculated that the one thing that will diminish the potential long term interest in the sport if people stop playing it. People stop playing it because of this. And I do think from a participation standpoint, the game has suffered that way. Football, you know, doesn't doesn't rank as high as basketball or or soccer or even baseball in terms of number of people playing. Um, and that to be is to some degree to be expected given the physical nature of the game and the and the chance for injury beyond um, head trauma. But that's the one that obviously has the long term uh, lingering effects, and you can see it. And anybody that you know that has played the game for a long time, there's a good chance that they're going to have suffered. Um, certainly multiple concussions and it may have some effect on them uh, long term. Uh, so they had, you know, put all these things in place, but now you have a game where the quarterbacks by a lot of people's standards are overly protected and overly coddled. And maybe they are, um, you're not allowed to do a lot of things, but they're still able to throw the guy down. The, the injuries, the, the plays that had happened on looked almost identical in the way his head hit the ground. Mm-hmm. He was thrown to the ground and his, his, his head smacked against the back of his head smacked against the ground. And it was, it was scary. Yeah. But the game is, is popular on so many levels. And I am the first to admit, I love watching NFL football. I love watching college football. I love watching American football. It is great sport. I don't know how they're going to fix it. And I, and I hope they can, but nothing is worth, you know, sending, you know, I mean, look at this backup quarterback for the Cowboys that's now lead, led them to several victories. There is always a quality quarterback ready to play in the NFL. But very, but very few with a football name like Cooper Rush. Yeah, good point. <laughs> that's good point. that's a name. But to your point, the, the numbers of participation in football have gone down, which 
it's part of the reason why we talked about it last week. Um, the NFL is going away from the Pro Bowl, turning it into a flag football event. I think part of the long-term strategy is to have kids involved in the game, learning skills, learning techniques that don't involve tackling until they're more mature physically, emotionally, and mentally. Um, and tackle football as a way to get them into the sport, get them interested, hopefully turn them into fans. Because if the if the participation continues in the trend that it's going, a generation from now, there will be a lot fewer fans because fandom or participating in the sport is the number one driver of fandom. I, I have always agreed with that, and I still do to a point. But that was what I was saying some years ago, thinking that it that it would potentially diminish enough players where they're not able to fill rosters on these college programs. But that has not certainly happened yet. No, and you and have that these hot like generation. Of, you know. Well, the other thing is, is there's there are so many rules. There's targeting rules that that some people feel are, um, you know, would say that they're overly soft, um, and they and the and the refs do miss them sometimes, or sometimes call a target when they look back and it isn't, but they can review that, which is a, which is a good thing. But that slamming that that's slamming down to the ground, that, that one that, that Tua hit, you know, twice back to back weeks, not even a full week, by the way, another issue there. He played on Sunday and then he had a Thursday night game. He was slammed down. That was a completely, those were completely legal plays. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be legal, but you know, what could be done from a, from a helmet standpoint, I know they've been working on that supposedly for years, but um, I've I've always said that it's very difficult for the technology in football, right? The pads and the helmets to keep up with how fast, how big and how strong the players have become. It's, you know, you are protecting, you know, an incredibly fragile human organ, right? The brain. And it's very difficult to do. And I don't, you know, I don't know enough about the technology to know if it's ever possible, but my goodness, these, you know, these players, you've got 300 pound linemen who are running four or five forties, right? Yeah. It's like a freight train coming at you. Well, life can't be made injury proof and certainly sports can't be made injury proof and football in particular is very difficult to make injury proof. So you're going to have injuries and you're probably going to have head hits. I think all of the moves that have been made, whatever, a lot of people may disagree with me, are all trying to keep up the best they can with this. So trying to make it a little less likely that people are going to uh, get injured. So you make rules to prevent certain types of hits. That all makes sense to me. I don't care what people say. It makes sense to me. I don't, I don't it, care. It does make sense, that. but you can't prevent all injuries. You, you can't, you can try to deter the behavior that leads to things like unsportsmanlike conduct, targeting, and things like that, right? And they do try to deter it with automatic expulsion and things like that. But some of it is a cultural thing, right, where players are taught to try to injure the opponent. Some of it is, uh, you know, sort of the the testosterone that that is surging through all these players while they're playing, uh, combined with adrenaline and, you know, everything else that's going on. Um, it's going to be impossible, as you say, to eliminate all injuries, but you can – continue to try to make the game safer. Otherwise it becomes a niche sport, uh, a generation from now. Well, look, we'll at, see. look at boxing when we grew up, right? Boxing was, it was a mainstream sport. It was incredibly popular. You could probably name, you know, easily name 10 boxers across different weight classes. That's, that's difficult to do now, right? Because 
it's become a niche sport because of the violence associated with it. Well, you know, with the with the money that's involved in these TV deals and the opportunities to to make money, I, I just I have felt, and that that was kind of my point as to why it hasn't happened more quickly, is that there's an opportunity for for young people that have the talent to make an awful lot of money. Uh, and a lot of business people to make a lot of money because we still love watching it, injury or not. So uh, you know, and I and I hope the game continues, and I hope it 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 makes strides on the equipment side. Uh, but when it comes to head injury, whatever the protocols are, they're not enough, and they need to be a lot stricter. And maybe there has to be a automatic out for a game situation. You know, in NASCAR, Kurt Busch had a had a head injury. We thought it was a what it, I don't even know what a common concussion is, by the way, but thought it was for. And he ends up not racing. You yeah. know, he's out of his car, and maybe they're on to something better, or maybe it was more severe than we knew. But um, we just got it. We got to step that up. There's enough quality players to fill in holes, and it should be treated way more severely than a, than another type of injury. Is yeah. I guess what I'll leave it at. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, players making a lot of money. But anecdotally, it seems that more players are leaving earlier, right? Not necessarily when they're cut, but making that decision to retire, maybe after they've had a good payday and they recognize that, you know, financially they, they'll be, they may have to work, but they'll be well off right. and, and without having to go through the physical grind of being a professional football player. So right. what do you want to talk about next? I got two options for you. All right. What do you got? I can go live golf uh-huh. and PGA tour, I guess, because there's kind of news there, they're, they're there's news happening, obviously, on on all sides of that. Or we can go uh, pickleball and sports participation. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go first? Let's let's go to Live Golf and PGA right. Tour. I've had more notes on that. So, <laughs> so, I mean, an endless, you know, since our last show, it's almost hard to keep up with the various things uh, going on. I, I I think you know Patrick Reed remains in the news with uh, <laughs> with his lawsuit that he continues to try to push. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, it's a new lawsuit because it, he oh. actually he actually pulled back from the lawsuit that he filed in Texas, only to refile it in Florida. I think that's what they refer to in the legal field as judge shopping. Hmm, but yes, he's still he's still uh, seeking seven hundred and fifty million dollars in damages. I would think those are two of the tougher plaintiff states um, to file in. But 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 there, I suppose, there are other things that. Well, uh, there is a there is a belief without turning this show into a political theme. Um, there is a belief, I believe, in Florida that there are a certain number of judges yeah. that uh, that may be more more inclined to to view his lawsuit favorably is that diplomatic enough yeah that was pretty diplomatic yeah for for you that was really diplomatic (laughs) (laughs) um and then the the tour has countersued live and the players that have sued them but at the same time phil mickelson ian poulter taylor gooch hudson swafford have asked to no longer be plaintiffs in that federal lawsuit um which i think was not going to be heard until 2024 or something like that or Mm -hmm. a while uh, against the tour and the point that Phil was making in particular, cause you know, he speaks for all those guys. Um, <laughs> that was a bad spinal tap reference, by the way, <laughs> that they didn't need the individual players anymore, um, uh, involved in it since, since live really had, had enjoined. If, is that the term? Again, I live with a lawyer, but sometimes I'm not great on my legal terms. I, so I, I don't, don't know the know. term, but it sounded good, of- right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Mike Mike McCann would like it. Yeah, the one at Amazon, not the lawyer. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the, the uh, if you think about it, why should Phil 
and the other players burn through attorney's fees when live golf is willing to foot the bill for lawyers, right? It, it makes sense from purely financial perspective. Number one, number two, it gives them some sort of, uh, plausible deniability or arm's length distance from live should something happen where they leave live golf and want to return to the good graces of the tour. Right. So there's any number of reasons they might want to do it. And also, you know, Phil's reason. There's a lot to, uh, to unpack here and a lot going on, you know, Phil has said, and, and now Rory's said it kind of that the best solution is for everybody to come together. I just don't get how they're thinking they're coming together at this point. And we talked about that before. There's there's such bad blood there. The thought that, oh, let's merge the tours or do something together or live become an extension or at this point, because Norman is now saying, well, we're the ones with all the leverage because he, you know, he's, he loves, you know, he loves us because there's so much attention on him right now. Yeah, that, like there you know, was he won't Sunday in Augusta. Right. Um, not a big fan of Greg Norman. Oh, and, and by the way, speaking of Greg Norman, right, he, he's out there claiming that there's all this interest in a media deal with Live Golf, right? And it turns out that they're looking at a time buy on Fox Sports. So once right? that news broke, though, and actually got out there, what happened is the the um, not only did Greg Norman say this, but the I don't know if it was a spokesperson for the Wealth Fund specifically. Uh, or the the Saudi royal family came out and said, "No, that's not true." Now there's a lot of other things going on that seem very odd. Fox um, didn't but, come out and deny it, right? They didn't come out and deny it. But then we've heard things that that this was something that was pushed from the corporate side on sports, um, which, based on some of the reporting that we had heard earlier, in terms of people trying to get involved in it on behalf of the Saudis. Um, to broker that. And you look at all the interviews that Norman has done, they've generally been over at, uh, uh, on, on Fox stations. Um, it's all, it's all a little, it's all a little peculiar and weird. Maybe we'll get a chance with our guest a little later to, to chat a little more about this. You, you and I could do a time by. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. Nothing that precludes oh, any, yeah. Yeah. I'm not knocking a time by because we've all had to look at that before for, for properties well, I, that we not, were involved I'm in with sponsorships. In, I'm knocking <laughs> it in the context of, Greg Norman saying he's got all these great opportunities and the time by is the easiest path to entry to getting on TV. Oh yeah. Anybody can do it. Anybody, anybody can do it. If you don't know what a time by is, it's basically just taking a time that they have that the, that a network or some sort of distribution outlet has available and you buy the time as if you're buying uh, an hour or two's worth of commercials, basically. And then you've Um, got to, you've got to handle production. You've got to handle all the ad sales. Right, right. You're, yeah. you're buying a block of time. You're on buying. Network. You're buying. That's what the time buy part is. There are all kinds of different deals on that. Sometimes the you know there's a shared piece. So it could have been a unique deal. Uh, you know, I, I've been around. You know, multiple types of these deals. Who sells the advertisement? Who share? How they yeah. share the revenue? It's all. It all can be you know customized that way. But yes, the the one that has been reported after the streaming services said they didn't want to touch it, um, and you know we we haven't heard of any action at the other. Three major golf broadcast partners, which are NBC, CBS, and ESPN, that there was they're not going to they're not going to get involved because they have relationships with the tour, the PGA of America, the USGA, so they're not going to get involved. You want to do some quick hits? Yeah, let's do it. We're about to share some tidbits. 
Things that didn't make it on the main list Doesn't mean we think they're not worth a sh- What do you got? Major League Baseball. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the rule changes. They reported that in the minor league season this year, games were 25 minutes shorter as a result primarily of the, the pitch clock. So imagine going from a, a three-hour game or a two-hour and 50-minute game to a two-and-a-half-hour game, how much more popular that might be among the casual fans. That's impressive. I know you um, had a couple of quick hits. You yeah, to- I want to I touch on um, something that I think we both had probably made some comments on on social media, but uh, LA28 announced and revealed this idea of basically allowing brands to embed their marks into the LA28 logo. And Delta was the first one that was announced where they took the A of LA uh, and turned it into the tail of the Delta or the Delta logo itself, which actually isn't an A, of course, it's a Delta but um, still, it looks like an A. So uh, it was. Uh, it's 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 a big story. And to those that have um, that maybe haven't worked on as many lockup logos as we probably have in our time, it's it's one of those things where you're always trying to see how you can make your brand more directly associated with the thing that you're investing in. Meaning the reason why you are investing because people have that passion for that property. Uh, and so it's a uh, it's a huge move. I thought they I thought it looked quite good, and I'm so. excited to see what uh, what else may come down with uh, with other brands uh, making that choice to try to do it. Yeah, I'm not surprised um, that it happened. Right, having been, you know, retained by Kathy Carter and Chris Pepe, a former guest, um, early in their tenure at U.S. Olympic Paralympic properties, I knew that they were thinking about brand partnerships very differently. You know, they have a very big number they're trying to hit in terms of driving revenue. And in order to do that, you sometimes have to change the model to drive really significant value for your partners. And that's what they're doing here. And and the Olympic movement historically has been extremely conservative in how it lets yep. um, brand partners associate uh, graphically. Yeah, very uh, difficult with to the work movement. with. Very strict. Listen, I don't expect for the near future that the IOC is going to allow those rings to be touched. But at this point, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared to say, um, you know, never anymore. Cause um, I think we'll, we'll have to see as, as the same pressures that properties have in terms of dealing with their brand partners um, and what it means to be a partner um, who knows what we'll see in the future. But I, I thought this was a cool development. I think a lot of people's eyes were open to how cool it could be and uh, was excited to see it. Hey, I want to talk about sports participation a little bit. A study came out um, last week, um, the State of the Industry report from the Sports and Fitness Industry Association and Sports Marketing Surveys USA. Basketball in the U.S. remained the top dog in terms of participation with a total of 27.1 million people uh, age six plus playing basketball at least once. Baseball was second at 15.5, soccer 12.6. I always thought soccer was going to be a little higher. But the the reason I, I, I wanted to bring this up, because last week we also got news that another round of, of big names have jumped into the pickleball space, led by uh, LeBron James and his business partner, Maverick Carter, and have bought into a team in the in Major League Pickleball, uh, an expansion team. They're already expanding. They have expansion teams, Tim. And and so I, I decided to look back up the number that you had talked about a few weeks ago, and the pickleball participation number is 4.8 million. 
yet they have this massive infusion of investment from some pretty big names. Uh, we've already talked about uh, uh, Drew Brees, your guy, um, being involved. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, your favorite social media personality and agency owner, I'm sure. Um, Kevin Love is involved. Uh, Draymond Green. So anyway, I, I just wanted to throw that out to see if you had any thoughts on, you know, if you're changing your tune on pickleball. Oh, no, I'm not changing my tune on pickleball. <laughs> I'm not bullish on pickleball. I think 4.8 million is a very nice number, right? Half of them seem to live in suburban New Jersey because I'm sick of hearing them talk about pickleball <laughs> in my trips to, uh, to get just a cup of tea when they're getting a spice pumpkin latte with almond milk. Um, I, I just, I will not, I will not be bullish on pickleball ever. You will not be bullish on pickleball. This is a shout out to anybody listening to this podcast that wants to challenge Tim on the future popularity or, or us on a show and what we've said about pickleball fire, fire comments back at us on LinkedIn and Twitter or whatever. Um, or let us know. We'll take it up on the, on the next show that Tim is okay talking about pickleball. It might not be next week. But. It's, 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 it's 21st century racquetball. All right. Right. Which went the way of, I don't know. Right. People still play racquetball, I guess, but, you know, there's no professional racquetball league. Um, well, there are multiple professional pickleball things going on, so we'll see. There's, how they do. there's multiple professional football leagues too, and how many of those have succeeded? Other than okay, the all right, all right, we definitely know where you stand on this. All right, I think Tim, unless you have another quick hit, it might be a good time for a break. We have a great guest coming up. It's time for our guest. All right. We are fortunate to have with us today one of the most significant leaders in sports media. Mark Lazarus is the chairman of NBC Universal Television and Streaming. In his role, Mark is responsible for the entire portfolio of NBC Universal TV network brands, which, among others, includes NBC Entertainment, Telemundo, USA, Golf Channel, Bravo, and E. He also oversees the NBC Sports Group, streaming service Peacock, and the owned TV station. Seriously, I really have no idea how he has time to hang with us, but we are very happy he does and will take it. Oh, under Mark's leadership, NBC Universal has forged new relationships with many of the sports world's jewel properties, including the Olympics, the NFL, the PGA Tour, Premier League, NASCAR, and recently the Big Ten. Mark has also served as president of Turner Entertainment and Turner Sports, where he helped Turner become a force in sports programming. I got through that all, and I could have gone on longer. Mark, welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you both for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here and talk sports with some old friends and colleagues. Thank you. That's great. great. Appreciate it. So let's start with the NFL. Um, since the season is just several weeks in, last night you had an exciting showdown between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers with two of the game's most visible stars in Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. So at a high level, how was Sunday night football performing compared to your expectations? And how would you characterize characterize the overall NFL viewership market this season? Yeah, I think, first of all, last night was an exciting matchup, and it almost became a great game. It, it, <laughs> it challenged greatness a few times. <laughs> couldn't get the score quite close enough. Uh, but it was a great competition, a lot of scoring, a lot of excitement. And uh, was uh, we were obviously thrilled to have that game on our schedule, having Mahomes and Brady. And we did a great promo with Beck singing Old Man, Neil Young's classic, to uh, play the juxtaposition between the two of them. Um, I think for us, uh, we're at expectations. 
you know, our ratings are, are solid right where we thought they would be uh, after the first few weeks. Uh, we've had had good matchups. You know, they haven't been the games haven't been as close as we would have liked. Uh, but that's the nature of sports and the nature of uh, what we deal with week in, week out uh, in every every sporting event. Uh, so we're, we're, we're pleased with where we are and we, we've got a couple of great games coming up and we're really excited about uh, about about the uh, the next set of matchups and we have Cincinnati and Baltimore next week and Dallas and the Eagles in the following week. So very, very pleased with where we are. And I think overall NFL ratings are are doing quite well, uh, up a little bit overall over last year. I haven't seen yesterday's full numbers, so I can't can't add that to the uh, to, to the qualification, uh, but you know, Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN are all doing well at or above, or, or either roughly combined a little bit above last year. And Amazon, I think, is surprising people. I think there's still some interest in how the numbers are being put together by Nielsen and Amazon. Uh, you know, we don't get to grade our own homework very often, so. Uh, but I think in general, the, the broadcasts are are strong and we're involved with that full disclosure where we have a pro our producing team and uh, we are their production partner for the Amazon Thursday night games. Um, and I think their numbers are stronger than most people predicted. And that's uh, the strength of the National Football League. So let's let's switch gears and talk about another one of the crown jewels in your in your portfolio, Mark. You've locked up the rights to the Olympic Games through 2032, right? So we talked earlier about LA 2028 and yep. um, and and some exciting developments there. But what what has the Olympics meant to NBC Sports and to the to the network more broadly? Yeah, I think it's really you know what have they meant to the company more broadly? And I think when you think about the Olympics. In the United States of America, you think about NBC Universal. You have for several decades, and I think even more so now over the last ten years, you think of Comcast, NBC Universal. Comcast, you know, obviously, you know, our, our parent company supported our bids. I've been involved with two extensions since I've come to NBC in 2011. We did a deal right in 2011 for. For a couple of games, and then in 2014 we extended through 2032, as you mentioned. Uh, Comcast has now not only are we the rights-paying or right, you know, the rights holder, but Comcast is also a sponsor of the USOC and utilizes the rings and is a huge part of the. It's a huge part of our entire company. Uh, very important. It's you know, we like to say it's in the DNA of this place. The whole company gets behind it. You know, the whole company promotes to the Olympics. We utilize all of our assets and resources. And then in turn, the power of the games and the audiences it brings, we use to promote out to the rest of the portfolio. Uh, so it's, you know, comes in one end towards the Olympics and out towards the other end to the rest of the, the assets that we're trying to support and promote. And we, we believe in the mission of the games. We believe in bringing the world's youth together in peace and sport with great competition still is a value worth upholding. And it brings the world together in ways that are unique. I mean, where else do you see, uh, you know, walking into a stadium almost one, two, three, you know, Iran, Iraq, and Israel. You know, that doesn't happen, you know, on, on every street corner. Where do you see North and South Korea putting a team 
of ice hockey players together or walking in the into a stadium together. I, I, I think it's a lofty goal, but a worthwhile goal and a mission we believe in. I'm, I've always been curious, how long in advance, how far out in advance do you guys start planning and executing against an upcoming game? So the next game's a little less than two years away in Paris. Have you already begun work on those games? If not, when will that begin? Oh, oh, oh. We, we started working on Paris the day they won the bid. So okay. that was five they, years ago. They plan a lot further ahead than we do. It is apparent, Tim. Yeah, five, yeah, five years versus five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's a five in there somewhere. <laughs> so, so yeah, we are planning. You know, the minute you know, we are typically a group of us when the when the winner of a bid is announced. You know, and the process has changed a little, right? Over the last few years, there's been a little less, more of a big bidding process mm-hmm. than cost it, it, it didn't make sense for there to be winners and losers so it's a little more of a discussion base but historically you would be there when when the when the site is announced and you start talking to the organizing committee and start building relationships and you know thinking about where in the city you might want to have host sites and how you would set up venues and what's uh, how much IBC space do you need and which parts of the company you know with sports being there the Olympic unit, NBC News, the Today Show, and how are you going to exhibit this huge global event back to the state? So, I, I, you know, the, r- the rough answer is get started seven years out, but really in earnest, get going four to five years out. And okay. so we're, Paris is well planned at this point. Uh, not every detail, but much of it. We've already kind of have in our head how many people will be going and they'll start thinking about talent shortly. So another long-term mainstay of NBC Sports is is golf. So along with CBS and ESPN, NBC is in a new long-term deal with the tour. Uh, how important is golf to the NBC Sports mix? And I'd also like to add, you know, we're, we're here, how the Golf Channel, which is a unique thing to you, how does that fit into this mix? And how does that give you kind of more reach than particularly CBS and ESPN with what they're able to do? Yeah, well, I mean, we are the biggest. Well, I think maybe you can tell by my shirt here. I'm wearing the PGA Tour logo. <laughs> oh, oh, good. That's going to be perfect for my follow-up question. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, that, I think that shows me to be a loyalist. And golf is a huge part of our sports portfolio. It's in, you know, it, we between what we do on NBC with the tour events that we do, and including the FedEx Cup playoffs, what we do with Presidents Cup, Ryder Cup, what we do with the majors of the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. It's a very important piece of NBC. It's also a very important piece of two, three other of our businesses. Golf Channel, which has all of the tour coverage, four days of every tournament, you know, earlier hours on Saturdays and Sundays, whether it's an NBC event or a CBS event. Um, And the instruction programming and the lifestyle programming, Golf Channel, you know, is, you know, put a lot of money into the college game and the women's game in terms of covering that. We believe we are the network of record for all things golf. That is Golf Channel's sort of purpose. We've also now moved as we uh, changed our cable lineup to no longer provide NBC Sports Network out there and merged the high, the high, uh, value sports there with USA Network. We moved our major championship golf to USA Network. So the Open Championship, the US Open, men's, women's, 
those, those championships are now on USA. And then Peacock is also simulcasting everything that's on NBC and has some dedicated hours to it for a lot of the major championship golf. So it's very important for four of our services. Uh, we believe that the audience has a high value for marketers. We think it has a high value for our distribution partners. And while we know it's a somewhat smaller audience than many other sports, it's an, an, a valuable and important audience and one that aligns with some of the other networks in our portfolio, especially something like a CNBC and gives us more heft against those, th those audiences. So not surprisingly, we have to ask, have you taken a formal position on live golf? Well, I'm wearing this jacket. Uh, that, that was kind of, that was kind of a formal statement. This is a statement. Listen, I don't like the fact that fields across the golf universe are being diluted. The more the best players in the world play against each other, the better for fans, period. Uh, and I think that the PGA Tour has a strong model. They've enhanced that model a lot over the last few months. We're supportive of that model, as I know many of the top-level players are, whether it's Rory or Tiger or Justin Thomas or Jordan Spieth, just to name a few, and I'm not meaning to leave any of the stars out, and there's many, many stars. Uh, but I think that that model could have lived on, and I'm sorry that someone saw another model. That's their prerogative. Uh, we think that this is the best model. Uh, and, uh, you know, tied with what the PGA Tour does with the DP World Tour, that globally they can have the most impact. Their charity elements, I think, are really important. Uh, and I'm sad by the fact that the fields are diluted. And, you know, I, I think back to, and you guys may remember, you know, 25 years ago, when cart broke away from IndyCar mm -hmm. and it took just decades for open wheel racing in the States to get, get its heft back. And I, it would not be certainly in our business best interest. It wouldn't be in my personal best interest because I love the game of golf and uh, for that to happen to this sport. So I hope that uh, would, there can be some sense of a, 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 different, a different outcome here. Thank you for that, Mark. Um, I know that's a it's a touchy subject for a lot of people in the industry, so I appreciate that. It let's is. turn to uh, let's turn to global football or soccer, as it's known more commonly here in the U.S. Um, you guys, more than pretty much any other entity, have really elevated Premier League soccer in in the United States. Right, starting several years ago when you when you got the rights, and now you're in the first year of a of a renewal deal with the Premier League. Um, yeah. Telemundo, which you mentioned earlier, will be carrying the Spanish language broadcast of, of the FIFA World Cup um, starting next month um, here in the United States. What are your views on soccer and the growth prospects uh, of the sport here in the U.S.? Well, I, I think, you know, you can dovetail this back to what the conversation we just had about golf. Uh, sports fans in the United States want to see the best in the world at what they do. And I think you know, we have that in all of our sports or many of our sports. I think that's why we've been able to be successful with the Premier League, because I think widely recognized as 
maybe as the top league in the world with the most recognizable brands and many of the most recognizable players have taken a liking to the sport of football, to the way we present it, to the day parts that it's presented in, which, you know, we did our first deal. We met with the Premier League for the first time during the Olympics in 2012 in London. And we did the deal shortly after that uh, for the following season. Uh, and we took it as a mission to build the Premier League here in the States. And we felt that there were times of day in the morning on weekends in particular, that for a sports fan, there was a dearth of product. There was no live sports. I mean, again, the Premier League had been presented, but I'd say maybe not cha championed prior to that. And you could either watch especially, you know, cartoons with your kids or news or sports news, but there was no sort of multi-generational viewing option. And we thought that we could help that, that sports could be one of those things. And what we found was a younger, more upscale, multi-generation audience was interested in watching the Premier League on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And uh, we just continue to believe in it and believe in the brands, believe in the leadership of the Premier League uh, and the team owners. And we found a very strong relationship with them. We invest a lot into it, uh, both for our rights, but also for marketing and a lot of our time into it. And it's paid off, I think, for us. And I think it's paid off for them. But we know it's paid off for them because we're paying them a lot more now than, than we were when we started. <laughs> <laughs> but in success, that's what happens, right? We, we They have an obligation to maximize their revenues. Uh, but they've been very fair with us. And, and we love our relationship there. And, and, and you, we talked about it being on NBC. It's also on USA. It's also... There's 160 or so games exclusively on Peacock, which is driving subscriptions for us. And then I'll move over. You, you mentioned, Tim, the, the World Cup, which is coming this, this fall slash winter to Telemundo, where all the games will, will air on, on Telemundo and Universo and Peacock. Uh, in fact, I think one of the interesting things is uh, – we've made a decision to air all to, to stream all the games live on Peacock in Spanish, which is what our rights allow for. Um, Fox who has the English language rights is not airing them, streaming them live. So we will be de facto the only live available streaming of the games. And we think that that's an interesting position for us. Uh, I was in Miami last week with the Telemundo team. Uh, they have a great plan to present the games and everything that goes around them, both on the networks and on Peacock. And we think it's a really important part of what we present, not only uh, to the Spanish language audience, but soccer and football, you know, translates pretty well. Uh, and we think that, you know, Hispanic, English language Hispanic, Audiences will 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 come to to Telemundo as well and, and watch the coverage we have. Well, we're going to keep keep moving around uh, before we jump yeah. on to uh, the air. Uh, we were talking a little about motorsports. Uh, NBC Sports became the exclusive IndyCar partner in 2019. You have NASCAR wrapped up through 2024. 
I assume you remain bullish on motorsports, but if so, uh, you know, kind of give us a sense of, uh, you know, what that level of bullishness is. And do you expect to renew with these two major U.S. racing properties? And because of the popularity of uh, the growing popularity, I guess I would say, with uh, with F1 here in the States, is that something long term uh, that you may have some interest in? Well, we, we had, first of all, we would hope to renew with our current partners. We, we have strong relationships and believe in the business value of those properties. We did have F1 for a couple of years, a few years ago. Uh, again, we helped that grow a little bit and then it went to ESPN and they helped it grow. And we were active in those rights negotiations. We made an active and aggressive bid, uh, but we don't, we don't win them all. And, you know, we came out of that and then went on and didn't win that and went on to get a big piece of the big tent. So we felt we saved our, our money for something different, but we, we, we were active. We believe in motorsports. I think motorsports has a lot of really good attributes, right? It's, it's, it's an all-star game every, every week, the best athletes on the same playing surface at the same time. That's a great premise for, for fans and audiences. Sponsor community believes in it and understands the loyalty to teams and drivers. Uh, and that rubs off to their media partners as well. So that's that we're excited about that. And as much as anything, as the world is evolving around technology, you know, I think motorsports is losing its, I'll call it rust as a sort of a gearhead sport and is being thought of much more as technology sports. And I think that that's a really interesting positioning for the for the, the motorsports world because these cars are really technological marvels and it's science. It's not, you know, oil and gas. And I think that audiences are starting to understand a little bit about that and, and how what it takes to run one of these teams and excel. Uh, in a motorsports series. You've mentioned Peacock a couple of times. What is what is that network meant for your sports strategy and your sports programming? And at this point, when you're having conversations with potential uh, partners, is there any conversation that doesn't include streaming at this point in the, uh, the development of that platform? No, every conversation includes streaming. And, and we look at it a few ways. We have whether it's a uh, whether it's something that's going to work alongside a broadcast property or a cable property, or whether it's something exclusively for Peacock, like our our ML Major League Baseball deal, where we have 18 exclusive Sunday morning baseball games in a semi-exclusive window, um, because we start at 11:30 in the morning, or we were until the seasons sort of run out on us here. Uh, and the, those games were only available on Peacock. Um, we think, you know, for us, uh, the combination, you know, the world's more people are cutting the cord. We can't stop nor deny that as much as we might like to. Uh, so games that are available on NBC or everything that's on NBC and sports is simulcast on Peacock. And we're finding an audience for it that we, is additive to our to our broadcast numbers and driving paid subscriptions for, and viewership for Peacock. Uh, that's good for our business as we scale Peacock, having diverse audiences like different fans of different sports 
allows us to expand the universe base of, of the people who are willing to pay for a subscription. And, you know, and anyone who's been in a subscription business knows that you're battling, uh, you know, price value relationship and churn all the time. And seasonal sports helps us uh, bring more value to those who are paying us now or gives people who are maybe fans of those sports a reason to buy us. And then the reduces churn on the other side. So it's an important part of the future, I think, of every sports deal going forward. So given the importance on the streaming side and all those other factors that you just mentioned, are the regional sports networks becoming or are they close to already being a thing of the past? Well, I don't think they're going to be a thing of the past. And I don't think they're going anywhere soon, but they will be there will be some direct-to-consumer mirroring of what those networks look like today available on a one-off basis. And whether it's something that gets embedded inside an existing service, whether it's Peacock or Apple TV or uh, MLB.com or ESPN Plus, there will be an ability for consumers to buy it without having a pay TV bundle. What the price point is and all that is still to be determined, but I do believe we will have to provide that to fans. The two, there's the hurdles in that are figuring out the right price point that doesn't upset the TV bundle any further. And second is how do you get in, make sure those games are available in commercial establishments, bars and restaurants. And that's, one of the things we work on with our premier league, we have something called pub pass that gets us into bars and restaurants, but the pay TV universe is going to settle at, you know, pick a number 50 million homes and be there for a long time. Mark, you've been very gracious with your time, but before we let you go, we, we have two questions that we ask all our guests. So if you'll indulge us for just a couple more minutes, sure. two part question. Number one. Well, get my start. So been at it a long time. So the resume is so ugly and sorted. But <laughs> I mean, I started at an I started an ad agency and was fortunate to be put on accounts that were sports oriented. I worked on Miller Beer and Wendy's. Um, and so good, started talking to media companies about about sports inventory and learning a lot about that. Uh, I was then a seller for something called Sports Channel America, which is really a predecessor to what we know today is the RSNs uh, and then went to Turner sports when we formed a sports ad sales group in 1990 uh, and then worked my way through sales and into sports management over time at Turner and then came to NBC to uh, follow behind uh, to work with and then ultimately follow behind in very short order because he left five months after I got here, Dick Ebersole, you know, an icon and a legend uh, uh, who created many of the things we all know and love about storytelling and sports television. Uh, and, uh, we just actually ran a one hour documentary on his sort of on his life. Uh, he's still alive and doing quite well. I speak to him regularly, but he wrote a book called from Saturday night to Sunday night, uh, which really goes with the beginnings of his career and started at ABC as an Olympic researcher came to NBC 
to be one of the founders with Lorne Michaels of Saturday Night Live and then throughout his career through the Olympics and NBA and on to, uh, on to uh, you know, Sunday Night Football. And then I've been here since then. And my, as, you, as you mentioned, I'm doing a few other things besides sports. You never get sports out of your system. Fortunate to have been able to recruit Pete Bavacqua uh, here to NBC, and he's the chair, current chairman of NBC Sports, and he's uh, culturally has carried on the legacies that we've all hoped uh, NBC Sports to be known of, both in terms of quality of production and quality of people. So really, uh, that's the path. Uh, made a few good decisions and got lucky a few times. And then uh, in terms of my advice would be, you know what, you may want to be in sports, learn more about finance than you think you should. It's important in everything we do, uh, not only in sports, but in every aspect of the, the media business. If you're in college, take an extra finance class. If you're, you know, if you're already working somewhere, you know, just get closer to the numbers. It'll serve you well, I promise. Good advice. That's great advice. And we haven't gotten that one yet. So uh, it was good to get something new. I hate to hold you any longer, but I do have to ask one thing on the college football front, if you don't yeah, mind. Sure. Um, obviously, that was huge news with you guys getting a major piece, the primetime piece of the Big Ten deal. Um, you've been the uh, Notre Dame rights holder for quite a while. The way I'll ask this question is, what do you think the role should be in terms of helping shape what it is that these conferences during this massive shift in 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 conferences and the power bases in college sports? I, I think the, the conferences hold all the cards. Uh, you know, the big schools do too. But I think, you know, conferences are headed down a path of consolidation. There's going to be fewer rather than more big conferences, powerful conferences. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think there should be some more, uh, you know, the NCAA really has kind of taken a back seat. I mean, they really just run championships. Uh, and, you know, I think they need to get their arms around name, image, and likeness before it causes more chaos out there than it already has. Uh, and, but we're extremely bullish on uh, the Big Ten and on college sports. And as you said, we, we really have only been, you know, we've been tied with Notre Dame for, you know, coming on 30 years in a few years. And we have a great relationship there and they're in a important to the to our entire company uh and it's been a really strong relationship but we think having the big 10 is good for notre dame and having notre dame is good for us with the big 10 great we appreciate you uh, uh taking that on mark cannot thank you enough for the time spent with us today yeah. really really awesome well really good to see you both and i'll uh, look forward to seeing you in person in the not too distant future sounds good thank you mark sounds All great right. So thank you again to Mark Lazarus. Uh, I can't believe how fortunate we are, David, that he took such, so much time out of his busy schedule to spend talking to us. I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's great. Um, you know, I was a little bit in awe, you know, and I've known Mark as if you for many, many years, but for somebody in that position to take time to talk to us on, on this podcast, um, and really cover, really, cover everything, cover everything oh, we wanted to talk about. Yeah. So, um, it looks like this can be a long episode, which is, which is good. Um, so what are you looking forward to in the coming week or so? 
Well, there there's a ton of stuff to uh, to focus on, but one of you know one of the top uh, U.S. based properties kicks off their season this week and have a couple of preliminary games. But the NHL is is over in Europe for our audience uh, in Europe uh, with a uh, with the Global Series Challenge, and it'll start actually today uh, with the Preds uh, and Essie Bern facing off in Switzerland. Um, and then there'll be a series of games in Germany and Czech Republic uh, on Thursday when the when the Predators and San Jose Sharks actually kick off the actual NHL season. So uh, I'm excited to see that. Quick shout out to uh, to a good friend, uh, John Lewicki, uh, who is the uh, international guy at, uh, at the NHL or one of the international guys. Um, so uh, good luck to him and, and all of the team at the NHL to, on their season kicking off. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the NHL season. But um, before I really turn my attention to that right this is the time with major league baseball goes into the playoffs we have a couple more games um here in the new york area the mets and the yankees have both uh made it to the postseason the mets uh you know hit a bit of a speed bump down in atlanta but that's why atlanta is the defending champion so uh and of course the next three days i'm going to see if aaron judge is able to break the american league record that he now holds with uh, roger maris so Never a shortage of things going on in the sports. Industry. Wait, I got a quick question for you. What have been your thoughts on the, all the cut-ins that that they've been doing uh, into the broadcasts uh, every Aaron Judge at bat? Well, I, you know, I'm usually watching the Yankee game, so I don't really see them. I, I I think if if it was a player other than a New York Yankee, they probably wouldn't do it, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not the major league record, and you can talk about Barry Bonds right. and. And, and, you know, whether or not they deserve an asterisk and, you know, and Sammy Sosa had 60 home runs three years out of four. Right. So um, maybe if he wasn't a Yankee, maybe they wouldn't pay it as much attention. Um, but honestly, I don't see them because I'm watching the Yankee games. I've got it. I've got it on. So. I, I saw him a lot. I, I thought it was cool because I, I've been, I've had fun, you know, watching this record uh, be chased. So I, I haven't had as much problem as I think some may have had that uh, that maybe aren't Yankee fans. Or I thought you were going to ask me what what I thought about the teams pitching around, Judge. And don't well, we that. saw a lot of that. That's the part that sucked about it, especially it's, the like Orioles. Said, I, I can he, see he's going know, to a he's going to a three zero count. You know, and he obviously has a green light. He's going to a three zero count. It seemed every time I went, and then and then I'd listen. I you totally get the fact that he might you know have tightened up a little bit on that but um you know then he was getting a he'd get a fastball or something that definitely was hittable but uh you know yeah. it was cool to see him get 61 for sure yeah i mean i can see the blue jays pitching around him because they were still playing right. for a playoff spot but come on the orioles yeah, are out the O's, of yeah you know grow a pair guys weak yeah so anyway this is the part in the show where we say thank you thank you again to mark lazarus from nbc universal thank you to my co-host david for putting in all the work you do. And thank you most of all to our audience who listens to this. If you like us, uh, subscribe, share, give us your feedback. Um, we do this for you guys and uh, hopefully you enjoy what we put out there until next week. He's DP. I'm McGee. We'll see you next week. There you go. 